0: Welcome to The Strategy Show. We explore with real people how to develop and deploy strategies that work. We discover how they overcome obstacles along the way, balancing both achievement and fulfillment. We dive into the most powerful routines, tactics, and strategies, and discover how they manage to stay fresh, strong, and happy. This is your host, Simon Severino. Today, our guest is Maria O'Shea. She is an experienced organizational consultant and coach. She worked for global consulting companies and is now independent and based in Vienna. Hi, Maria.
1: Hi, Simon. Great to see you.
0: Thank you for having us in this wonderful place of yours.
1: It's great to be working at home and have two colleagues here. Wonderful.
0: (laughs) Um, I have lots of questions. Where do I start? Uh, Maria, what makes you unique?
1: Mm-hmm. What makes me unique? Um, if we focus on the cons- on the um, the coaching side, um, I think what I probably bring to the party is a mixture of on the one side the business know-how because I've worked in industry, worked in consultancy, so I have it's the intellectual, strategic, um, the side that understands the complexity of what many managers are going through in uh, in uh, in their organisations. And I think the other side is, I think, I have a, a great ability to empathize, to, to understand what's really going on below the surface. And I guess that's also where I like to get to, you know, what's happening below the surface. And maybe it's this combination. I mean, there are other people like this, of course, as well. But maybe it's just my unique combination, which, which helps me a lot in this field.
0: You are independent and you are very successful in what you do. Which errors should a newbie in your field maybe avoid?
1: Mm-hmm. Um, <clears throat> I think I, I guess I have to look back and see how I did in particular uh, coaching at the beginning. And I think at the beginning, you're very stuck to the methodology that you learn. So I learned with, with Trigon and uh, with Werner Vogelauer. And he's, you know, he's a koryphée. He's really good and what he does and he's very very strict about not giving any solutions you know so this is it's totally about well what do you think and through questioning getting that to the surface and this is really important but there are moments where where it needs something else and I think the biggest error maybe is not just to go with what you feel internally is necessary in that moment sometimes we get stuck with the theory of what we learned or what the process is and forget that in the end it's what helps in that moment what helps the client in that moment so I think that's probably an error I made as well and I think the second thing that um, that I made and I think a lot of people do is they forget just to ask for help. There are so many, you know, experienced consultants, coaches, trainers out there and people like talking about what they're good at, you know. So if someone came to me, a young person said, look, you know, would you coach me for a while or help me or mentor me for a while? I'd say, sure. Yeah. So I think people they aren't brave enough maybe just to say, you know what? I'm at the beginning. Give me a hand.
0: Thank you very much. Are there any methods or tools that you use most?
1: I mean, there's a huge range of models and uh, and I love trying out new models. Um, there's a couple of models I always come back to, which is very interesting. And there's sometimes really basic ones, like one that I often end up using even at the top levels of organizations is just stakeholder analysis. Mm-hmm. You know, the classic one, you take out your flip chart, bubble in the middle, whatever me or my project or my question, and then everything that, that is around that, and then stepping into the shoes of the various stakeholders. So on one level, really banal on the other side, I find that what What it brings is often a huge amount of clarity and lots of ahas where the people at the end say, wow, you know, just the visualization alone, but the visualization with this methodology is really helpful. So that's one I I use a lot. Um, I'm a big fan of things actually happening, a next best step. Yeah, so there are lots of great ideas, but, you know, what's going to happen tomorrow? And uh, one methodology I use a lot or I give to the clients is the methodology of journaling. So if it's a particular question and they're usually inner questions, more about yourself, your attitude, your beliefs, something you, you, know, you see about yourself that is holding you back from something, then the methodology of journaling is, I mean, it's, it's basic neuroscience, you just create new synapses. So you have your sentence, you write about it every day. And I tell my clients, ideally, you write for half an hour free flow on this question. Yeah? If it's five minutes, it's five minutes. It's way better than nothing and do it you know, for six to eight weeks. And I'd use it myself, you know, for things I want to work through. And um, I think it's amazing after a couple of weeks, you notice that already during the day, you're already thinking about the issue. So you've put it on your radar and you're already working differently on the issue because you know this evening I'm going to write about it and I don't want to write that I didn't do anything about it today. (laughs) So it's like tricking your brain. I mean, it's again a really simple one, but it's one I love. So I use that a lot.
0: And one question is what's holding you back?
1: For me, um, what's holding me back? It's, I think sometimes, um, and this is a very personal answer to the question. Um, I think I, I love trying out so many different things and I'm sometimes held back really going a hundred percent in one direction because um, I get waylaid by by just really interesting things. Like recently someone says, do you want to try out a webinar and take a video? And I said, okay, never done it before, but if you're willing to learn the journey with me, let's do it. And then I did it, you know, and it took a huge amount of effort. And it, I don't regret it, but it does hold back, I think, a full implementation of other directions. But maybe that's just the way I like to have it, so maybe it's okay.
0: Do you have some favorite routines, like a morning routine or mm-hmm. other kinds?
1: Yeah, um, I mean, my biggest morning routine is is meditation. Um, for me, it's really helpful. Um, and I've been doing it now for a while. And the effect it has is this ability to observe much faster where I'm at, what the situation is doing with me. Um, you know, I have this sort of second level running them with me sometimes. And I think, oh, there you are again, Maria. Which makes me much more, um, I guess, effective in the sense of what I want to achieve or what's what's actually happening. So every morning um, I set the alarm a, a bit earlier and sometimes it's only 10 minutes earlier, sometimes it's a half an hour earlier, depending on how the day looks and the evening was before. And um, I have a range of different ones. There's some great guided visualizations or affirmations or whatever. And I think it's a great way just to start the day with, uh, with looking inwards before you go outwards.
0: And... Uh, how do you stick to it? Do you really do it every day?
1: Yes, I do it every day. Some days I don't do it in the morning. So that's, I guess, where the flexibility is an advantage. Mm-hmm. I am um, this morning. <laughs> the alarm went and I was brought out of a dream. So that was, I was just totally tired. <laughs> so, um, But I know that once, once you're gone, yeah, and between now and the next call, I have time. And I'll fit it in there. So yes, I do it every single day. And you know what the best way to do it every single day is? There's an amazing app. Called Insight Timer, mm-hmm. and uh, they have at the moment they have a whole group going through 365 days together. So you sign up, just 365 days together, and I signed up, so I'm going to do it 365 days. <laughs>
0: and you're accountable because the other would ask, why aren't you?
1: Well, the others are really supporting, which is sort of nice. I think if someone then said you should have and could have and whatever, I think that's not the way. But uh, when people write in the you know in the in, on the page where everyone's connected. And they write, uh, oh, I didn't manage it today or I haven't managed it a few days. You know, there's like 20 answers which encourage and none that point the finger. Um, so I think that's it. as sort of a, a part of a community trying to do something together. And I guess this is for me, um, this helps me to commit. But also, I really know the difference it makes to my day. So I think that's the other side. Once you get out of the commitment side for others and get into the, wow, it's great for me, then you stick with it. Yeah. So.
0: How do you find time to do your own strategy and not only operations?
1: Well, <laughs> I have to laugh at this one because, um, because I'm actually not very strategic. Um, and I'll, I'll tell you why. Because there's a model that, uh, that shows it really nicely. So when I was doing my coaching training, about, I don't know, eight years ago, 10 years ago, um, <clears throat> there was one guy came and he showed us there are different ways into the future. Yeah, you know, so the people who say I'm here today and I do a little bit extra of this, a little bit extra of this, etc., and then I'll get somewhere. You know, it's the incremental way, the way organizations do it. So 20% more turnover uh, next year, 30% next year, etc., and then we get to the goal. And then there are others who work from pictures of the future. So they have a visualization and they say five years I want to be here, and then they work backwards in the sense of what would this mean for me today. Um, and then there's a third group which is a very intuitive group, and they tend to. Um, it's more just having a, a clear sense of who I am what's important to me, what my values are and then every time you're at the crossroads you intuitively choose the right thing and so I have a lot of this last part, a little bit of the vision, yeah, that's worked amazingly well for where I stand today, for example where I am today was actually a visualization I had in 2004 in a, um, in a visualization at the end of a, a training but now I'm very much driven by, uh, by this sense of of seeing what comes and um, and day to day then deciding that helps me a lot and every I guess every two to three years I do a like a, some type of vision workshop for myself so I last one I did was two years ago and then before that was about four years ago four years before that how do you do and that I, I actually go and join a workshop yeah so uh, it's often colleagues who, who offer them so the last one I did was uh, was in the mountains as well I like nature for um, for inspiration and for vision. And, um, and it's really funny. So the visualization there two years ago was very similar to what's happening today. So my visualization was, um, you know, I'm at home. I have a good breakfast, which I did with my kids. And then um, I work with colleagues. Maybe they come or we work together, whatever, which we're doing now. Mm-hmm. And then I have maybe some client calls or whatever, or a client meeting. So I have a client call, not a client meeting. And then in the afternoon, I do something totally different. So this afternoon, I'm going swimming. <laughs> so, and these are things I think like that is really cool when you when something is strong enough to pull you forwards and then you just let it come. it often does, so I'm more of the person who lets it come as opposed to being. Uh, so there I'm very different to you. Simon, I hear your lists of <laughs> lists of all the things going on. Wow, that's so cool. That's really cool. I really admire you. I just can't manage it.
0: <laughs> it seems you're, you're, the universe is saying that your method works also. Yeah, and I,
1: think it's, I guess it's really about finding the methodology that works best for you. Yeah. So if you're more of a structured person, then your way is really great. And I think I'm more unstructured in that sense. And I get just pulled by images or energies that, that bring me into the future. And that works for me.
0: It's fascinating how different models can be very impactful.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And maybe that's really interesting. You know, we're saying for beginners is also to find the methods that work for you. Mm -hmm. I think there's a lot of um, in all fields, there's a lot of this is the way to do it, you know, and and you have to keep strictly, uh, you know, like in psychotherapy, there's this methodology and this methodology and the other ones haven't a clue. Yeah. And I think in the systemic world, we have a lot of that as well. A lot of people who know a lot and say this is right and wrong. And I think for newcomers, what's often difficult is just to find your own way. And if it's effective and you bring yourself and your client one step further, then it doesn't matter what theory it fits.
0: How did others recently describe your best possible self moment?
1: (laughs) Um, Actually, I had a lovely moment of a a colleague who said um, we were um, with a client and it was a consulting work and we were developing a design and we presented the design to them and he was asked to describe me and he said uh, what he really appreciates about me or how he described me would be um, uh, what he said warm heart sharp mind and I, that really that was really nice yeah because I thought it, it was a bit relates a little bit back to what I said about my uniqueness um, because both are important to me I think it's really important to be fit intellectually in these things we, we we're confronted with a lot of complex topics and you need to be on the ball about what's going on and what it means for the organizations and not just from the soft side but also from the hard side in particular in executive coaching it's not enough for them the soft side isn't enough for them they want also the hard stuff and they want some type of, um, of consultancy as well. And uh, so that was nice to see that someone else saw, okay, you know, it's the intellectual side, but also the warm heart side, you know, it really, it matters to me that people go one step further. So when they when I hear they do, then I'm thrilled.
0: What is the main difference in your way of working from your early years Mm -hmm. at Boston Consulting Group and and now with your own methodology?
1: Mm So I think the focus in classical management consultancy is a lot on the analytics, you know, and I think we did amazing analytical work and also great ideas and great ways into the future. The reason I left classical management consulting was because I was missing the um, the translation into reality. I was missing, did we really dock on to the culture of the organization and maybe the greatest um, solution uh, it's just not a solution for this company and therefore a tenth of it or a fifth of it would be better than the hundred percent solution, which doesn't work. Um so I think that's the big change for me is that it's really about what's the next best step for this individual or for this organization. And for someone else, it'll be something totally different. So that has changed a lot. And the other thing that has changed a lot, um, I trust my intuition and my resonance just a lot more. I think that's just experience. It's not something that you turn on in your first year. Um, You know, I'll have a plan and then uh, and then something inside says this is not the right thing. Yes, I'll change it. So to be flexible enough, but also in coaching to give that resonance back to the individual because What you're offering them is something that you're feeling, which has a lot to do with them. And so I use my resonance a lot. And I say, look, uh, you're interested in hearing what, what effect it has on me when I hear you saying that and that, you know, wow, I don't know, I'm overwhelmed or I'm breathless or I'm totally confused or whatever. So using resonance a lot more, I do that and also to do something spontaneous. So I think I guess that's just experience. You trust that the next thing will be okay.
0: Is there a moment when you have in this intuition moment where you check rationally very fast if, if you're going to use that and how, or does it really just happen?
1: Both. So sometimes um, I get the impulse, I, I notice the impulse coming up and then I, the brain comes in and says, you know, is this the right moment? Is it the right way? And then I think what it helps me is not so much to push it down, but to decide maybe a good way to bring it across. Recently, there was another moment with a, a coach, so boss of a company, and he internally has to change uh, job so he isn't you know he will get a job internally but he has to, for the first time in his life he has to look for it himself he's always sort of the jobs have come and it's connected to lots of things like self-worth and um, you know do I do I know my strengths am I willing to to put myself in the market and say this is what I want and it just came out of me two sessions ago I said ex it's time to stick your neck out because there was a, so much frustration in me, the fact that I felt, you know, he's good. He can get the jobs. He's just not willing to step out and take the disappointment if he doesn't get the job. And I said, stick your neck out. So the next time he came back and he had to stick his neck out and he didn't get the job. But this time he came back and he's got an amazing job in Asia. So <laughs> I sometimes think the impulses are good. Now, mine will have been a tiny effect in all the effects that were happening him at that moment in time. But retrospectively, I think was the moment just to say, come on, get going. And these are ones where maybe I didn't test with my intellectual brain, Maria, is this the right moment to say this word?
0: What is a typical coaching process and and how does it look like?
1: Mm -hmm. Um, They'll start differently, you know, sometimes it will be an individual who comes Sometimes it will be through HR or whatever. Um, what I find really important is how it starts off if there are more than one person involved. You know, the typical triangular relationships are always difficult. So I think you need to be very clear what your role is as, as coach and that you're not, um, you're not part of any type of assessment. You're not part of giving messages that bosses should be giving. So, uh, you know, you get the carrot there very often. You know, take a role that actually a leader should be taking in the organization towards their employee. So I need to be very clear there, um, and then I spend a lot of time at the beginning with the uh clarification of the goal, so it will at least be the first session, one and a half hours, maybe run into the second session. I think it's amazing, just the goal clarification brings so much clarity you know sometimes people come in and they already have a solution, but that isn't the goal, yeah, and they say, you know I want to run a workshop and then it's about okay, what is what are you trying to resolve, and then maybe we'll see if the workshop is the right thing to do um so goal clarification is really important for me, and you notice the um, you notice these moments of insights in your clients as you you know you go lower you know it's like the onion you know you get lower and lower and lower in, insight to what it's really about, and then you get to the core, yeah, and then suddenly you notice okay this if we could actually really work on this and make progress on this, it will then change the things at the symptom level, so that's something, um and then I tell my clients at the beginning as well that I like to do a lot of work in between, and not I but that they should do a lot of work in between. I'm realistic, you know. Uh, coaching once a month for an hour, an hour and a half is not going to. It's an impulse, yeah. And unless you get working in between, unless it's important enough for you, nothing's going to happen. That's the real reality, you know. They go back into their organizations, in particular at the top level of organizations, and you know, the the hour we've worked is gone in seconds because they're confronted with the complexity. So I like, you know, I, of course, I talk to them and see what exercises they want to do. And we check if they work. Sometimes they come back and say that exercise doesn't work. Can we do another one? But I always say, you know, take something in between, even if it's an observation task or a reflection task and, and work on it. So that's what I do. they have do. to
0: report? How do you check if they do it?
1: Well, then what I do is before the next session, I will send a, an email about a couple of days before the next session and ask them, can they send me an update and what's their focus for the session? The reason I do that is one. it. If they come directly from work um, and haven't thought about coaching, then we take ages just to get going. Yes, if you have a half an hour just where they're sorting through their thoughts and you only have a half an hour to work, it's too little. So it focuses their attention that they have a coaching, that they have to remember what happened. You know, the goal comes back to Mm -hmm. the surface again. And they also already say, um, what am I going to work on this time? I want to avoid that they come and say, here I am, Maria. What would you like to do with me and' I'm there. I don't want to do anything with you. What would you like to do? you know so I think that's really important to focus attention, put it back on the radar
0: so execution is key in your coachings
1: yeah, and execution though I think in you know sometimes it's small things it's not about I know that things don't change overnight in particular behavioral things so um, execution could mean just an observation task where I, for example, if it's about communication with my team, you know, and I notice I'm too direct or I, uh, I, I don't involve them enough or communicate with them enough, then it's about maybe observing it over a period of four weeks just to say, OK, what works and what doesn't work. And then we can work with that mm-hmm. you know? or find a role model in the organization who does it well and, and write about that. You know, so there can be small things. You know, it can be the pre-execution, if you like, you know, understanding the problem before I actually change it.
0: Fascinating. I also recently tested a change in my way of coaching. I went from one and a half hours to three hours session. Mm -hmm. And now we have three parts. The first part is an impulse. The last one is is closing it. But in the middle, we do something. And it Mm was um, also because I was thinking, how can can we as a coach help execution happening? Mm -hmm. And um, I sticked to it. Now it's it's two years now. I stay with that. What is your uh, favorite client?
1: Um, I had a couple of really great, as a, you know, all the clients are great because you, you know, once you start coaching, because sometimes coaching doesn't start. Yeah? Sometimes you get together and you notice it doesn't work and that's fine. Then you're not the right people for each other. The ones that you start end up being good, yeah? Um, I had a couple of really great ones recently. So I love supporting young women, yeah? So when young women are... are, So young managers, um, there are just so many topics as a young manager and in particular as a woman in a male-dominated, mostly male-dominated organizations. Um, And a lot about finding your own style and being able to be a woman and at the same time being a manager. Um, So these are... I've had a couple of uh, ones these last two years. They've been great. And um, I love the executive coaching at the top because one, because of the complexity. So it really gets my brain going. You know, wow, these are I recently had one where someone was setting up a new BU and just the complexity of setting up a BU, looking at the stakeholders, a business unit, a business unit. Yeah. Um, looking at the process and whatever. So that was intellectually fascinating, but personally fascinating as well, um, because it's always the individual in the process. So that was something that was also, you know, a really interesting process to work on, on both sides, intellectually and, uh, and personally.
0: Are there two books that you give away most?
1: So I'll be honest here. <laughs> the books I read are, I love reading books for me personally. I'm, I'm not great with big theoretical books. Um, I get bored in the middle pretty fast. I get the feeling that a lot of them repeat the same stuff. And I think, come on, guys, I could have got this in uh, in an article. Um, I think that sounds probably arrogant. It's not actually. I think I just, I think it, it's just maybe too much or maybe my job has so much of that in it, I want to do something in my in my spare time differently. So I read, I look at blogs, I a lot of YouTube videos, a lot of articles, so I'm more of the... the The short stuff, yeah, or get involved in workshops so I learn. I'm more of a learning by doing, not a learning by reading. Books that I have loved personally. There was an amazing one I read recently um, called The Glass Castle.
0: Mm -hmm.
1: Um, Jeanette Walls, I think was her name. And I think the reason I loved it has a lot to do with me as well. So she grew up with parents who were basically messies and homeless, and she just moved around. Uh, in America and her childhood is you just think you read and you think like how did she put up with this I mean you know you're a parent I'm a parent we know that Mm -hmm. we're making mistakes all the time but these were big massive things of just not giving a child what a child needs in the early years and what I loved about the book and this has to do with me and also the way I coach um, is she didn't moan it was a just a description of this is what happened with a certain amount of understanding and beneath it all love for her parents because she realized they they didn't manage mm-hmm. anything else which takes huge greatness to be able to do that in huge maturity so that i was amazed and that really struck me i thought that was that was incredible of her to be able to be that far and what the link to me is, you know, I often give that to clients. It's just, yeah, okay, there's moaning for a certain amount of time. And then it's circle of influence, you know, the model from Covey. You know, mm-hmm. what are the circle of concern? What are all the things which I can moan about? And moaning is great for a little bit because it gets rid of that energy. But then it's about saying, okay, guys, this is the way it is. Let's stop talking about the fact you know, that this can't happen and this can't happen, and the boss is like this and all this. This is the way it is. Yeah, you know, what are you gonna do about it? Because otherwise you're just out of your own energy and that drives me mad. You know, this this sort of uh yeah the the Vinies are good at it as well. <laughs> it's moaning. <laughs> so uh yeah, so that was a book I, I highly recommend.
0: Is there something you recently changed your mind about?
1: I changed my mind about I think um it's actually it's a difficult question um, because I think changing mind for me te- tends to happen in small amounts uh, the, I'm not someone who suddenly you know from one moment to the next says oh no that's no way I'll check it out or whatever and there are advantages and disadvantages of this style I'm, I'm aware of that but I think I'm someone where things sort of grow slowly and I take time to change my mind sometimes too long and so actually I, I can't spontaneously I actually can't find an example because there's nothing that is such a big one there were more small ones that changed over time and now they don't they probably seem so minor because they've taken so long to change so I can't actually answer that question Simon. I'm sorry but I will think about it it's a good question and I'll get back to you
0: <laughs> is there anything you were expecting that I ask you but I didn't ask
1: yet Yeah, when are you going to work together with me, Maria?
0: (laughs) The sooner the better.
1: Great. Yeah. Um, Is there anything else? Well, I also think it's interesting. Uh, I'm hesitating now asking because then you'll ask me, right? Do it. (laughs) Yeah. You know, the biggest flops. They're always interesting. So what is a biggest flop? Yeah, I mean, I think we all have big flops. I think my biggest ones are either when I'm not good at clarifying goals Um, that happens less and less but happened a lot at the beginning um, where I noticed that we're not really going anywhere and and then it was my responsibility because I didn't actually um, define with the client in enough detail what it's really about and where they want to go. And the other thing that also happens less and less, thank goodness, because I'm getting better at it. Is um, you sometimes notice in coaching that it's just not going anywhere, and then it takes the guts just to bring that to the surface, and not. And I think my habit in the past would have been to keep on trying. You know, the helper syndrome. So let's try this, and let's try that, and let's try that. And the next time they come back, and nothing's happened, and then you try something else. You know, and I'm much better now. at just saying, look, I'm not sure we're progressing here. You know, um, I'm not sure what it now needs and to give the responsibility back to the client of course how they want to progress but very often what comes up is yeah i think we're there already or i think um i recently had one where i reflected that back after three sessions and i said i'm not sure there's much we can do in this context and setting and she said i agree um i have enough to get going it's about putting it into practice and there's no point now continuing talking about it i just have to get out there and get going and we'll meet again in four months and we'll just cross-check. So I think they're the flops where I where I guess I don't listen inwards enough about um, are we really progressing or is it time just to say, let's stop. Everything, everything doesn't have to happen the way we planned it originally.
0: What are beliefs that top executives have and that are maybe dysfunctional or not so functional?
1: Mm-hmm. I think one of the biggest one's is and it's prevalent everywhere at the top is i have to know it all and i have to well i have to do it all sometimes question delegation but i have to know it all means that um that i'm really alone at the top and i think that this is fatal i mean not really but you know you know what i mean <laughs> because um <clears throat> it's a self-perpetuating picture which is not only destructive for yourself, but actually for the whole organization. Because if you're giving the picture that you know it all and that you, um, you don't ask any questions and you don't ask for help, you're basically saying to management all the way down, this is the way all managers have to be. And uh, if there was a chink that opened and just said, you know what, I'm stuck here, yeah, with your colleagues on the board or your colleagues in your management team, Um, And if you could open that in particular, if you're the CEO, because you're such a role model there, this would allow a totally different form because the complexity of the world today, no one can know it all. And that's the reality.
0: I I can feel that a lot. What if I am a CEO and I recognize this pattern because it's 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 depleting me and, and now I recognize this pattern. I think I have to do it all alone. How can I change? this what can i do Mm
1: -hmm. i think i mean there are two methods i guess in 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 coaching you can either work on the symptom level yeah so you just the symptom is i don't ask for help i don't open up i don't go into this self-exposure so you can work on that level and i've seen things work really well there in workshops where where really top members of, of an organization have opened the chink by saying, you know, this was a mistake I made and this is what I learned from it. Yeah. And the workshop was unbelievable yeah, because you get the human person behind the facade. And this allowed the workshop. It was actually a workshop about how do we progress and how do we deal with mistakes? And of course, if the guy at the top says, this is this is what I did. And, I, you know, and, and these are the problems I had and this is how I progressed with it and learned from it, then this allows the organization to do the similar thing. So one thing is the symptom level. The other level I like to work on is just the beliefs. You know, it's often interesting because the belief that says I have to do it on my own comes from somewhere. And it doesn't mean to go into the psychotherapeutical side, which is, you know, where it all comes from. But just naming where it comes from and then moving onwards yeah, and saying what, what would be a more helpful belief. Um, and uh, and creating maybe pictures of what it would be like if, uh, if I let go of that belief. And then there's maybe this relief, this really inner sense of physical relief that people can feel if they visualize it. That alone can be a good mobilizer to change. Yeah, so you could I guess you can work on on both of those levels, depending on the individual.
0: Mm-hmm. And uh, is there? Do you use any cards or lists or videos or 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 formats to get there? Because it's not that easy to to come to to beliefs and to change them.
1: Yeah, no, I think beliefs are very. I won't say difficult. They're very challenging to change. Um, so what I would do is, you know, first of all, is really to look at where the what the beliefs are and list all the ones. Sometimes the belief of "I have to do on my own" is linked to other beliefs. So it's good to find the complexity of beliefs around it that that contribute to it. I like to look a little bit in where they come from. So who is it who's telling you? Yeah, and there's a nice question. You know, who would you be uh, most uh, most similar to? Mm-hmm. If you continue this belief and mm-hmm. then, you know, of course you get the biography stuff, which is about where it comes from. Um, I like to use journaling or something, some type of reflection exercise mm-hmm. because uh, the beliefs, they sit so deeply. It's good to to see where they come from. And then when you develop a new and appropriate belief, so what will be another one? And, you know, if the belief is I, um, I have to do it alone, um, there can be lots of positive beliefs which negate that one. And it could be um, I... Uh, I enjoy asking for help or I, uh, others support me or, um, I, uh, you know, anything that isn't negatively connotated and that has a positive sense of, uh, of what you're trying to achieve. And then to work with that really, again, similar to journaling every day to say, okay, if I look at this new belief today, where did I strengthen this belief today? And again, it's the same, you know, if I work on it every single day and this belief is what I like to work with as well is, um, mobile phones we always have our mobile phones with us so mm-hmm. you get your picture which defines the new belief yeah so if mm-hmm. it's about asking for help what is it and it could be uh, you know two hands together or uh, a group of people talking whatever something that for you individually symbolizes this and then you have it on your phone and then you see it every time that you look at your phone you see this picture yeah or mirror in the morning you have your belief written mm-hmm. somewhere or uh, written at the top of your uh, calendar or whatever but it's just about you know getting it as often there in your mind as the other belief was. And uh, and there are lots of small, very simple methodologies to do that.
0: What would you do if you had complete financial freedom?
1: Complete financial freedom. Mm. I wouldn't change a huge amount, um, which is good, I think. <laughs> <laughs> um, Sure, there are things I'd do you know i'd I'd probably uh, where I live and I'd love to have a a family home in Ireland and in Italy, my two backgrounds, and then I know i'd al- I could always go back there, so yeah, I'd definitely buy something in those two places. Um, workwise, I'd probably work at a lesser intensity, but I really love what I do, so I couldn't imagine not doing it, so these things you know you know you win the lottery and you go off and do nothing and be like why would you do that if you love doing what you're doing so I wouldn't change that I'd uh, I guess I'd try to travel a little bit less and and be more here Um, but I would continue you know consulting and um, and coaching definitely
0: and you are now successful since many years but you're still fresh curious and creative
1: how do you do it hmm (laughs) I mean maybe it's just a character thing I don't know I'm someone who really I can go out I mean sure I have bad days but I can go out in the morning and just say wow this smells of summer or wow look at those roses or if you look out in the garden there there's a whole bed of strawberries and once you go I'm gonna go out and pick them And I think if you can do that you have the eyes of a child because every new thing is like wow an opportunity just to learn that's that's great so and if you were to, you know, if you're saying something, what could you pass on or what could people do? I think it's really to have this curiosity to go into the day and saying, well, what am I going to be surprised about? And there's a quote that I just read recently. It's from Albert Einstein, who you really wouldn't think would have a quote like that. But he said, there are two ways to live your life. One is that nothing is a miracle. And the other is that everything is a miracle. And that alone, if you go into the day just thinking of that, I think that alone is sort of a little bit of a change of mentality. You know, do I have to explain everything? Is it all intellectual? Is there a reason for everything? Or is it just because it is? And then it's like, wow, okay, it is.
0: Thank you, Maria, for being on the Strategy Show. Listeners, you will find, as usual, all the details we discussed in the show notes as well as on strategysprints.com. Happy day,